0: Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services Sundays at 9 a.m., 10:30 a.m., and 6:30 p.m. And so, this series, we're going to go from just kind of start to finish in large, big categories in what we believe. This would be a good time for you to to evaluate your personal beliefs about things. Now, let me get something straight. What what is true about Baptists is that we are what's called Congregationalists or separatists. We're not a part of any large organization. Who we are is right here. Right here. It's who we are. We are a Baptist church. By definition, we are separate. We're independent. And so there's no organization that oversees us. There's no organization that tells us what to believe. Now, we take the word Baptist because of our view of separation or separatists or being independent as well as the way we do a f- couple of other things, church government, which is separatism, and then the way we do baptism. And that's what we're kind of like with other Baptist churches, but what another Baptist church may not be exactly where, what we believe, because we're all independent, right? And, and so also I want you to know, uh, I don't give you your beliefs, it's not my job. Uh, you decide for yourself under the authority of God's word, and you receive it. So there's nothing that I can transfer to you by way of grace or entrance into heaven. I can't just, just because you're here doesn't mean you're necessarily apart. It means you're apart as far as, you know, mankind, friends, we love you and all this, but a part, just because you're in a room with other people doesn't mean you're in unison with other people. So this is a great opportunity for all of us to come to our convictions about what we believe. Now, I will tell you what we believe and other Baptist churches believe on these core issues. And on this first issue that we're gonna talk about, we are all one. Because if you leave this area and you don't abide in the final authority or acknowledge what has the final authority in your life, then everything else falls by the wayside, right? If we don't agree in how you find the truth, then we will never be unified in what we believe. So what we're gonna talk about today is the Bible and what God says about the Bible. Now, there are all kinds of different ideas of a final authority of who God is and what he tells us to do. Um, There are those that just believe they are the final authority. There's actually some people believe that they actually are God. I mean, they actually have told me that in the past. I'm God, well, I don't think you are. I've heard people say, I've never sinned. And I'm like, you just did. My goodness, you just did right there in front of me. You just sinned by claiming that you're sinless. And so, but how do we know these things? Well, you go right back to the source of authority. Now, some people choose a source of authority out of pragmatism. In other words, they'll say, man, I like to call myself God because it just works for me. And I'm like, it's not going to work for you very long. It just won't. I mean, you're, you're, you're not God, period. Period. Or I'm gonna go along with the latest country and Western song and I'm gonna love like they tell me to love. And and right now it's working for me. Well, it's ultimately not gonna work for you. Well, the law allows me to do this. Well, that doesn't mean you have to do it. So what is your final authority in your life? How do you know right from wrong? How do you know where to lay your passions and your your entertainment? How do you know how to raise your children and what is truthful? What do you commit your life to has, reveals what you think is the final authority. And so we're going to let God speak to this very clearly. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 from the very beginning starts off with talking about the heavens declaring the glory of God. And this is what we call natural revelation. God revealing in a very natural way, naturalistic. And we see this very clearly. And then it goes from the cosmos all the way down to the last verse to your own heart. So let's start with the cosmos. And here's what it says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. And it's very, very poetic it's typical Hebrew poetry, not necessarily rhyme and, and, and uh, what's that other word? Yeah, it's not that. It's not necessarily rhyme and rhythm as much as it is structure and the way the words highlight each other in contrast. And so you have the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And so imagine something pouring like a massive waterfall and the sound of the roar and what it's saying with every drop, with every trickle, with every galaxy that you see, the flicker of every star, the sounds that are going on is declaring one thing in concert, in unison, and it's pointing you and me to the very glory of God. And when you and I stop and think, which is a very good thing to do. The Bible says often, stop and think. Take in and respond to what you see. And then it says in verse three, watch this. So you got this contrast. It's a beautiful contrast of the first two verses and the third verses and the glory of God and the galaxies, the cosmos is shouting to you, your eyes. They're just like, Get a load of this. The sun, look at it. No, you can't. Why? It's so bright. God is saying so much about his power and his character that you can't even look at it. You have to turn away. That's how loud God is speaking to you. And the sounds and, the, and he's just saying, and he's speaking right to you personally. And he's talking about how powerful he is and glorious and even holy he is. But then we get to this contrast to verse three. Now watch this. And he says, uh, They have no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. So in other words, it's so loud you can't hear it. Some people don't even hear it. So here's what he's describing here. Some of you may be even wondering, I don't even know if there is a God. We're gonna talk about that right here. Watch this, this is what he's saying. The whole natural revelation is screaming And then it says, but there is a silence to it. There is a cloud. There is a filter of flesh and sin. There is a darkness across this world to where we don't interpret what we see correctly. And the problem isn't with the cosmos. It's not with the world. It's not with the sun. It's not with the stars. It's not with your own heartbeat beating now. The problem is with your receptor or your perception right? Let me read you uh, just a passage. It's Romans 5a. Just listen to this. And it says this, it says, uh, for you were darkened in your understanding. But after a Christian comes to know the Lord, it says, now you're in the light, therefore walk in the light. It says you were darkened. Let me, let me read you Romans chapter 1, this famous passage, a commentary on the very beauty of creation. And it says this, as for the wrath of God is revealed upon all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the truth is screaming, but our own unrighteousness actively, where we, you know, you might tell a lie, or passively this unrighteousness of just being a sinner like me, just a sinner. This is holding back the speech that is so loud. So you always wonder, you go, you know, if God is so real, why didn't he just pop out and say something? And God is going, what's wrong with you? Why can't you see that? Of course, he'd use better grammar than me, but why don't you see that? Or you go, man, I don't know if God is real. And God is saying, listen, why don't you just put your finger right here? I think it's right there. You feel that pumping? I put that in you. Remember when you were thinking about breathing? No, you don't even think about it. You just do it. I put that in you. What's wrong with you? Oh, we suppress the truth by our wickedness and sinfulness. Here's what that means. Sin makes me and you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. You do. You ever seen a deer in rut? Thump, thump just moves on, just gets ran over by truck, doesn't know what's going on, just looking around, makes them stupid. And we do the same thing. But in in a real sense, the more someone continues to go in sin, the harder your heart becomes, it does. And so the pain, listen, 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 the pain of sin, the pain of the consequences of sin is kind of like a big tapping on the shoulder going, hey, wait a minute here. Things aren't working out for you, is it? And all of a sudden you start searching and you start lifting up the blinds and you start taking a look and you start trying to see through the curtain or the cloud and God, then all of a sudden you start to see and that's God's general grace or general natural revelation being spoken and it makes you hungry and you thirst. And he goes on, but he says this, he says, In verse 18, verse 20 says this, no, verse 19, I'm sorry, 18 and 19. For since what can be known about God is evident among us, because God has shown it to us. For from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what was made. As a result, people are without excuse. In other words, there is so much revelation of God that even those that deny him when they stand in front of him, after they die, they will say, I never saw you. He said, that's no excuse. You had all the revelation in the world. You just didn't respond to it. So natural revelation is so vivid and so powerful that it doesn't give you... it leaves you without an excuse. You should know these things. So that's what is being said in Psalm Psalm 19. Turn back there with me. if You may still be there, but still back there. And in Psalm 19, we see in the first six verses the, the very description of the natural revelation. And then when we get to verse 7 in this passage, we see this. Number one, we see the description of the Word of God. So he says, here's natural revelation, but however, verse 3 is saying, look, it's not not communicating clearly, and we learn that that's because of sin. So God sends you not just natural revelation, but God now sends you special revelation. So here's what we learn. Natural revelation leaves you without an excuse, but it doesn't provide all you need to know. Divine revelation finishes out the conversation between God and you. And we, we, we jump into this. And here's what he said. Here's a description of it. First of all, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Verse 8 again, the commands of the Lord are radiant. Verse 9b, the ordinance of the Lord is reliable. And so what we have here is instruction and precepts and commands and ordinances. And so what, what we get from that is God is giving all this instruction in detail for you and me to grab and it's here for the grabbing. I mean, God is speaking. And so we know there was a time when uh, God spoke to Moses. You know, Moses was the first time, first person to download any data on the tablets from the cloud, right? That's what he did. Yeah, so you thought that was funnier than I did. (laughs) That's a change. Usually I think the jokes are funnier than, anyway. So. That's what he did. And so he gets the message from God, he, it's preserved for us, we have it in writing, intact, exactly like it was given, and yet Israel abandoned it. If you, I don't know if you know that. Israel in their past, they got this amazing miracle, to cross of the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, all these crazy things happened, miraculous things happened. God fed them with manna, whatever it is, and then doves and just fed them with honey and it was just great. And then they get out and they start living land in the promised land and they forget the word of God and things go really bad for them, why? Because they rejected, they left aside, the precepts, the statutes, and the law. And this is true for you and me. When we leave the very principles that God gives us, in heart, in soul, when you stop believing and stop living the word of God, then you and I begin to experience the consequences of that. And it happens very quickly. But we also learn, here's the description, verse, verse seven. The description of the instructions and the precepts and the commandments and the ordinance are this. Number one, the law is perfect. Verse seven, it's perfect revelation from God. As the Bible was written in the autographs, the Bible, here's what we believe about the Bible. This is what we're studying, what do we believe? Here's what we believe about the Bible, it's perfect. It's infallible, it has no errors, it's inerrant. It is the very words of God. It is God-breathed. That's what we mean by inspired. When we say the Bible is inspired, it's it's not that we just believe that some famous singer got up and sang the national anthem, and now, oh, that just inspired me. No, we're not talking about motivation. We're talking about the guarantee of accuracy that what you have in your lap is the very Word of God. It is God's Word, and it is perfect. Now it's not perfect, it is perfect that we can look and when it speaks scientifically, it is absolutely accurate. When it speaks about government or economy or it speaks about family or parenting, it is absolutely perfect. But really what this word perfect is speaking towards is that you don't need anything else than the word of God because it is sufficient for all of your needs and superior to what anybody else is saying, it's perfect. So the pop psychology of the day of how you treat someone or the type of relationship you have with someone, that's not perfect. What is perfect is what God says, and you can take it to eternity by believing it. God's word is perfect. It does mean it's without error. If you find an error in the Bible, the problem is in between this earlobe and what? This earlobe, Right? It's because I'm not understanding the context correctly. I'm not understanding the nuance of the word accurately. So when you look up and you go are the contradictions in the Bible, go, yeah, there's this one, there's this one, and I've read those. I read through a few this week. And I'm going, man, they satisfied that in 1000 AD. I mean, that was, that, Marcion, bam, they, they nailed that guy. He did, I mean, he just, it doesn't have any weight. And then all the new archaeological discoveries and all the findings, and you're just going, you know what? That's fantastic, the way the Bible is perfect. And then, second description is it's right. The precepts of the Lord are right. And then it says the commands of the Lord are radiant. It's going back to the first six verses. It radiates truth. When you read the Word of God, it should radiate in your heart. I used to be involved in the lighting company, and I remember we take these fluorescent tubes, and fluorescent tubes uh, come in different lengths, but they also come in different diameters. You got you got the real fat ones, the HOs, the high outputs, you got the T12s, the T8s, the T5s. But inside of them is this little white stuff called phosphorus, right? And in the T12s, usually it's just one color of phosphorus, isn't that right? And then in the T8s, TH, you've got triphosphorus, you have three different colors. That's why, actually, uh, under some fluorescent lights, you look gray. And then under other fluorescent lights, you look vibrant, right? And so, I don't know why I'm telling you this, it's just true. <laughs> And so what you have is you have a cathode on one end, another cathode on another, and they set electrical charge, and that phosphorus just begins to shake, and it creates a light. And we used to take this little device. It's, it's one of these things that people use in therapy. It, it sends these little rays. Uh, uh, therapists and chiropractors will t- show you about it. But we would take that little thing, and, and, and it would set this vibration, and you'd hold it above the light, and it would glow just in that one spot, and you could move it up and down. So you could demonstrate... How the phosphorus is what makes the light because it just shakes and it glows. When it says it's radiant, the word of God is radiant. When your eyes hit the word of God and you soak it into your heart, then your heart just flutters with the truth and it's just right. And you begin to radiate the very truth and the glory of God. How can this be? That God of all creation that makes the stars that are shouting and Jesus says the rocks will even shout out and in your heart and my heart when we get exposed to the very word of God, we also radiate in a powerful way. Because it's right and then it also says it's pure. That's what it says, verse nine. It's pure, enduring forever and it's reliable. Here's what it means by reliable or trustworthy your translation may say. Okay, you, you've responded to the natural revelation. You did that as you were a kid. I mean, every one of us. Mom, who's God and who made us? Where'd we come from? Natural revelation, just purdling up in your heart. And as you begin to answer these, I recommend you answer the questions of the children. And, if, and you can answer it by saying, you know, I don't know, but I, I, can, I can help you find the answers. And I don't know all the answers, but I can help someone. I was talking to my grandson. He's, he just turned eight. I don't know when he turned eight, but he did turn eight, and he didn't just turn eight. But I got up early Friday morning. He was, he was in, reading his comic book Bible. It was really cool. It was, it was in 1 Kings chapter 9, and we were reading about Ahab and Jezebel running from, uh, from the people of God. Anyway, and then he just looks up at me and says, hey, do you know what Eli, Eli, Lama Subotany means? I'm like, wow, the dude's speaking Aramaic right here. And so it comes out, that's one of the sayings of the cross. He's on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why has Thou forsaken me? But it, he quoted the Aramaic. And I said, where'd you hear that? He said, we learned it. We learned it at church. I'm like, man, that's awesome. And I said, why did you learn it? Well, it was because of, it was Good Friday. And then we all, my, you know, he said, we, he's talking about his family. We decided to fast. And I'm like, what did you fast from? And how long did you fast? He said, I fasted for two weeks. And I'm like, wow. I said, what did you fast from? He said, popcorn. (laughs) I said, so what did you learn? He said, well, actually, I learned that I like popcorn a lot more than I thought I did. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's my grandson. That's my grandson. So we train up our children because it's right and it's reliable. And when we train our children in this, we believe that the Word of God is reliable to guide them and lead them and where they should go. And, and also, let me, let me just make this statement really clear. By natural revelation, you came to know the Lord. You responded to special revelation, and you became a Christian. Those who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are following Jesus. You're trusting in Jesus to save your soul for all eternity. You're dependent on him to save you from the wrath to come from hell. That's a big dependence, right? That's a big decision. That's so important. And if you can trust him for your eternal salvation, don't you think you can trust him in how to live your life today, right? You sure can. And we get that direction from the Word of God. The Word of God is absolutely reliable. Then we get to verse 10. Verse 7 through 9 is the description of the Word of God. Verse 10 is the desire for the Word of God. Now, you and I should desire it just like we do this. They are more, the words of God, the statutes, the ordinance, the testimonies, the principles, they are more desirable than what? Gold. More desirable than gold. Than any abundance of pure gold. And then look at this next line. Sweeter than honey, than honey dripping from the cone, you say... Man, that didn't make sense. Well, let me describe it this way. First of all, gold. So gold is, I don't know how much it is. It's over, I think it's, let's just say $1,200 an ounce, right? And you have a Bible in the chair in front of you that probably weighs less, right around three pounds. So what you have, if we're following the analogy, 60,000 bucks right there in the chair below you. You might want to take it with you, you know? You might want to honor this thing. And it says it's more valuable than your pursuit of your money. It's more valuable than the protection of your money. It's more valuable than dreaming about money. That we should, just as you work for money, you should work for truth. Just as you desire to be secure financially, which is not a bad desire. It's not. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. It never says that. It says the love of money is evil. And the reason it says that is because if you love money more than you love the word, you're probably going to foolishly hold or give away or squander money. So he says this right here. He says, for those of you that are money motivated, listen to me. The word of God is more valuable than all of that. Now, some of you are not motivated by money. You might be like me. You're motivated by Snickers. (laughs) I like food, and here's what he says. For you, it's more desirable than honey. Honey was the sweetest thing known in David's days. The sweetest. I don't, I don't know if it lists that he had beehives, but I guarantee you. I mean, he had fields of wheat and corn. He had stock of, 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 of cattle and goats and the purest, and I can imagine he says this because he's got all these beehives, and he knows what it's like. I got to do that a couple days ago. Somebody in our church has some beehives and they gave me some honey with the cone. And it's like, mmm, that's so good. You can, I mean, they said don't eat the cone, but I did. You know, I hope I, they said I could, so it's okay. So it's just, so do you long? So the point of fasting, whether it's popcorn or food the po- po- one of the points of fasting from television or from your phone, amen, get off the phone for a while, yeah, um, fasting from these things is that every time you think about it, you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm putting down that desire so that I can cultivate a new desire. It's very, it's very good, it's what we do. So he's saying it's better, the Word of God is better than that. That's the desire that you and I are to have. But also, as we continue to read, Uh, In addition, your servant is warned by them. So there is the description of scripture, verses seven through nine. There is the desire for scripture, verse 10. And there we have the discernment of the word of God. You know, as you begin to read the word of God, you learn how to classify really quickly. You learn how to tell right from wrong. You'll be watching a movie and all of a sudden you go, red flag, red flag, that's wrong. Sometimes you just need to turn it off and say, hey, that was really wrong. Okay, now let's play it. and then. And then you just go on, you just call out, you know, you are warned, you hear someone speaking or maybe some famous actor or actress, and all of a sudden they make a statement that's not even in their field, and and it has a spiritual ramification, and you're just like, that's wrong. How do you know that? You know the Word of God. It makes you wise. It says that. In addition, your servant is warned by them. Now, how many of you have made a lot of mistakes? In, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise it for all of us, okay? How many of us have made a lot of mistakes? We've all made a lot of mistakes. Now, for some of you, you haven't made all the mistakes yet, okay? There's still more mistakes that are in front of you that are potential, And when you make this mistake, it's radically going to hurt you in many ways, possibly many ways. That's just true. So these mistakes or these bad decisions leave you in a bad situation. But the scripture here says they will warn you and they will cause you to avoid mistakes. Now some of you are, are young and you're starting to maybe date and the scripture gives you incredible warnings and ways to navigate so that your heart is not crushed and then crushed again and crushed again and then many things happen. For some it's, it's like business decisions. Some it's, it's, it's an acquaintance, others it's attitudes. The scripture can warn you to not take on attitudes. Emotions. You have an emotion well up and you think you have a right to an emotion, but you go to Scripture and it warns you. It's like, what are you doing wearing that? What are you doing putting that emotion on? Why are you using that emotion to manipulate other people with? And you get these warnings, warnings, and warnings, but the Word of God says, as you read the Word of God, the servants, those that rest in it, you are warned. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to walk around that pit hole. I'm not going to step in that one. I'm going to move around it. But then lastly, here's what it does. It gives us this description of the Word of God. It gives us, shows us what a desire for the Word of God. It shows us some, some discernment. But then let's just look at the devotion of the child of God to the Word of God. Verse 14. For the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, might it be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So here's where we go. From the cosmos to the most hidden thing which is in your heart. Look what he says. He, in fact, he makes this statement. Um, verse 12 says this Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Isn't that incredible? You say, Brother Mac, yeah. I didn't come here to get pestered about my sin. No, I'm going to take it a step further. The Lord is going to pester us about the sins we don't even know about. You go, wow. So when the Lord saves you, he now wants to clean you. He now wants to transform you. And so the Word of God does this, and we learn this really clearly when we read this famous passage in Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter, chapter 4, verse 12. Let me read it to you. It says, the word of God is living and is effective and is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. So the word of God is so precise and is so radiant and is so pure and is so appetizing that when we jump into it, it begins to do things to our heart that are deep and is so healing that you need it and I need it even as a Christian. We need God to come in and to reveal to us, look what he says, it is a judge of the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God goes in and is so able to discern your own heart that it takes things from the closet of your heart, brings it up to the front, and you go, I didn't like that. Now I know why I did this and why I did that. And it's because of this yuck, poison, sin. Now let me tell you something. This right here will separate those who just want to check off religious box. Yeah, I accepted Christ. I got baptized. I go to church. Eh, sometimes. And I have a picture of Jesus on the wall in front of my table. You know, I'm a Christian. Versus the person who really wants to walk with Jesus this right here is the line of demarcation and it's talking about willing to submit yourself to the word of God when the word of God comes and begins to change your heart in fact when you look clearly at what it says it says the instructions of the Lord are perfect and it does what revives the soul it revives the soul so you may have tromped through some mud you may have fallen into some bad decisions you may be living on the consequences and they're tapping you on the shoulder going, this isn't right. Well, here's what the Word of God does. When you begin to read it, it's like there you are laying on a gurney and somebody taking those little paddles and going, what happens is the Word of God comes and it revives you. And you're back to life. You're rededicated, you're restored. Just like the psalmist says, He restores my soul. Now some of you may have, some, maybe all of us, maybe living the consequences of some bad decisions, your bad decisions, or someone else's bad decisions. You may be in the mire and stuck in the mud of just some bad circumstance that happened. Listen, the Word of God wants to come deep in your heart, reveal things that you're thinking that aren't right, reveal things that you're feeling that aren't faithful, and is wanting to revive you. That's what He says here. So, Here's what I highly recommend. You do these things. The meditations of my heart. Read it. Read the Bible. What we believe is the Bible is the word of God. And we believe you, everyone here, you are capable and you are called to read the Bible for yourself. You don't you don't need a preacher to do that for you. You don't need a teacher for you to read the Bible. Now, I'll be honest. Here's the full truth. There are teachers, there's godly teachers, men and women right among us that are gifted teachers. I would recommend you get amongst them, get around them, and let them teach you and help you with certain passages. But you must read it for yourself. Read it. Secondly, reflect on it. Let it, let it sink. Let that knife of the word come into your heart. This says meditate upon it. Just take a verse and just work it. Think about it. Take, take a chapter and just work it in your head. Marinate in it. Let it get all over you. Remember it. What's that mean? Memorize. So, Brother Mac, you don't know how old I am. Yeah, I do. <laughs> when you get older, your mind doesn't work quite as good as it did. You know what, though? You remember what you want to remember. You may not remember as much, but just start with one verse. And say, look, I can only get three words out of that verse, and I can only memorize three words. Fantastic. You got three of God's word right in your heart. What can God do with Jesus loves me? Wow, that's pretty good. In the beginning, God. Those are pretty powerful words. There, you, all, you know more than you think. And you can memorize more than you think, particularly when you try, but also recount it. In other words, share it. You know, you heard something, just go to somebody and say, "Uh, I read a verse. What was it? Jesus wept. That's awesome. (laughs) Why did he weep? Uh, His friend Lazarus died. That's awesome. (laughs) What happened to the friend? He rose him from the dead. That's awesome. All by two words Jesus wept. Everybody say that. Jesus wept. You just learned. A verse of the Bible. There you go. See how easy it is? And then also, respond to it. Respond to it. Here's what he says. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. He's responding to the Word of God. He's reading it. He's reflecting on it. He's remembering it. He's recounting it and he's responding to it. And as he does, it's this interaction, this flow with the eternal God that can't be seen right into your heart. And you know what? That's what we believe. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamato's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.